Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most American podcast network. But she's lived it ten times or more. She could spit in the eyes of fools if they ask her to focus on Hey, what's Pac-Man, everybody? Welcome to the Cynical Cartoons podcast, where today I watched Mars Needs Moms with my friend Chloe Tinney. Chloe uses she, her pronouns. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at StopTweetingMia. Thank you for listening to the Cynical Cartoons podcast for another week. And as always, I'm your host, Mia Marchant. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm here if you need to talk. Wonder if you never know Who's in the best-selling show Is there life on Mars? Did you remember your mocap suit? Because that's really important that we're able to <gasps> capture all the movements Damn it. from this conversation. No, I think it's in the washer right now. You have to remove every one of the orbs right. from the suit before wash you can wash it. Wash them each separately in the dishwasher. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. the, the orbs well, are dishwasher safe, thank God. I guess that we'll just release the audio version of this podcast <laughs> if we can't do all the mocap okay. stuff. Um, I mean, we were both planning on looking like cats from the movie cats today oh but my god you saw cats right you did see cats i have not gotten oh to my yet. god I've, chloe i know i i am so behind i've been i mean between the two jobs there's not a lot of opportunity i'm planning since tomorrow's my day off i'm gonna see if i can find a showing of cats and also maybe go see birds of prey okay sure i would say Ooh, that's hard to say which of those is more important because they're both very good. <laughs> but especially if you can bring friends. You know, if you're going to go see a movie alone, maybe Birds of Prey is the way to go. Like, that movie will be fine to see alone. You won't feel, like, miserable. If you go see Cats alone, you'll be like, this theater's empty. There's nobody here. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. Judy Dench is looking at me and I don't even have somebody next to me to, like, be like, this is weird, right? Jumping right into it. Was this... Your first time seeing Mars Needs Moms? I want to say yes. It, I don't know. It feels like a weird fever dream where I feel like I watched it on TV at one point or like caught the ending of it because parts of it felt familiar, but it is a weird ass movie. They spent $150 million on this piece of shit and it lost so much money. It's incredible. So much money. They didn't even make like a third of it back. It's a very strange movie. It's a very boring movie, actually, when you watch the film itself. But aside from like the, the story itself, let's talk about the behind the scenes stuff for a little bit. Because that's the most interesting oh thing God. about Mars Needs Moms. That's the only thing that anybody <laughs> knows about it, right? Is that they yeah. cast Seth Green in a mocap like Polar Express style movie about a kid whose mom gets take, taken to Mars and he has to go get her back. And he did like all of the mocap and all the voices and everything for this movie. And then in the last minute, they were like, uh, uh, this is creepy. We have to replace him with a real kid, but only his voice, not his movement. So, or his face. No, it looks he he is the mini me version of Seth Green in the movie, <laughs> and it's terrifying. They kept all of his mid thirties wrinkles and yeah, like, what it's every it's, single expression. I'm like, oh god, what is happening? It's so bizarre, and it's like I was looking into it, trying to find anything about him talking about publicly being disappointed by this choice or anything like that because it's so strange like they kept all the mocap of like seth green being a little nine-year-old boy running around get picked up by aliens and you're like oh my god this is terrifying <laughs> and then 
I found an interview with him online, um, and this was his quote. He said, since I'm a 37-year-old man playing a nine-year-old boy, it was always expected that we get a real kid to re-record Milo's dialogue, and that's what we did. Seth Dusky recorded every line over my vocal performance, using it as a guide for his. He did a fantastic job. Um... That that sounds so by the numbers yeah. in every single PR mark. Yeah, yeah. Seth S- Seth Dusky, the kid that, that replaced him, did a fine job. Like, he's not terrifying in his performance. No, and I like that they got a kid named Seth to replace Seth. Uh-huh. That, that was important. And he does emulate a lot of, like, Seth Green's vocal ticks, I guess, and things like that. Yeah. But it's like, if the if the intention all along was to re-record all the dialogue and release the movie with the kid doing it, then why was the first trailer just Seth Green's voice pitched up weirdly to sound like a little kid? Like, this stuff Wait, is out what? on the internet. Yeah, the first trailer is like Seth Green's voice oh and it God. sounds creepy. And the second one, they replaced him and you're like, people complained too much. They were like, this is creepy and they replaced it. <laughs> Like, why in a $150 million movie with no stars, it's Seth Green and it's that other fucking guy who was later on in, like, Fantastic Beasts but hadn't really done anything at this point. He was just in, like, yeah. Fanboys. Dan. I I can't remember his Daniel. name. And then they have, yeah, just Daniel. And then they have Joan Cusack playing Joan Cusack. For two minutes, yeah. She's barely, I mean, she is the titular eponymous mom. Yeah. But she's not in the movie, really. <laughs> And then when she is in the movie, you're like, oh, she's she's she just kind of showed up to set in a mocap suit and was like, oh, OK, I guess this 37 year old man is my son now. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, OK, so this is the really incredible thing about this movie, right? Digging in deep. I got the Blu-ray for this movie because I found it for like $1.99 at a garage sale one time. I was like, this oh my is a fucking, this is exactly what I need to be doing on the podcast someday. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was getting myself into because the Blu-ray for this movie has, of course, the normal version of the movie. But then there's also like the hellish nightmare edit, which is you just watching literally the mocap process. Like you're just watching literally Seth Green and Dan, whatever his name is, run around in mocap suits and scream and be picked up by men much larger than them. <laughs> And fall and, like, be thrown around for, like, an hour and a half. That is the movie that they need to re-release on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> or at least have it as some, like, bonus section where they're like, okay, here's the original movie. Here is the Peter Jackson extended cut as it was meant to be seen. Right. And the weird thing, I mean, it's exactly the same the same runtime and exactly the same. Like, you're listening to the same thing. You could watch them side by side and see it. And so it's just very, very strange to see. But I wish that more movies would do that. Like, complete transparency with the filmmaking process. If your Star Wars movie got reshot 60% of it, I'm really, really interested in seeing that original version. I want to see fucked up baby tooth Sonic version (laughs) of Sonic the Hedgehog more than I want to see the movie that's actually going to reach theaters. Yes. In all of its gangster paradise background music glory. (laughs) And so I was kind of thinking of it like, what what do you think would be the best movie to see in the mocap, like behind the scenes version? And I guess that Cats Besides is Cats. the obvious go-to. We already talked about that one. <laughs> um, I think I would love to see Avatar, like the James Cameron Avatar, because that was the one that kind of revamped it from the original Nightmare That Was Polar Express. 
that was the one that's like, oh, motion capture can actually look okay. Yeah, and can I would love make to see sense. the behind the scenes of that one. Right. I would also love to see Polar Express, now that <laughs> I bring that up. Seeing Tom Hanks play every single character. He, he was also kind of the Seth Green of that movie where he played the kid, or the motion capture for the kid, and every other Tom Hanks-esque character. He did do the motion capture for the kid. I didn't know that. Is that true? I I think so. He's like the main kid. I'd have That's to double so check, strange. but I'm pretty sure he did. Okay. Like, I remember seeing a behind the scenes video where it had, like, the dots on his face with the mocap suit and the side by side of the kid, and you're like, those don't match up at all. But good effort. So so there is a precedent then for an adult mid 40s or 50s man to come in and play a little boy, <laughs> and then be replaced <laughs> yeah. by a little boy. At po- okay. All right, that's fine. It's a weird precedent, but I mean... Yeah. Robert Zemeckis has kind of got his type. The director for this movie also did Prince of Egypt and Fievel Goes West. Oh, okay. So this is his worst movie then. Yeah, and then Robert Zemeckis has to be attached because it's the Uncanny Valley motion capture. Where it's like Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey and... Beowulf. Well, I guess what I was getting at when I started talking about the behind the scenes stuff is that Joan Cusack wasn't even really there. Like every time that it's a shot with him and his mom together, it's just like an animatic or a storyboard. And then, what? and then for the rest of the movie, it's the two guys running around being like, oh, we're pals. We love palling around and stuff. And you're like, wow. So Joan Cusack literally recorded this from a fucking bathtub and it's like her face kind of like <laughs> plastered on there. She looks like a Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 character. Um, she's pretty smushed up. It's not good. <laughs> I, I noticed that near the end when she's saying something about like how I'm so proud of you. You can hear like the room tone in the background of all of the lines. And then it slowly fades out as the music picks back up. You're like, right. oh, she probably very literally phoned this in. Yeah, I don't really understand how this movie cost $150 million because there's nobody in it. No, I. it was probably for every single motion capture thing that needed, like, just them moving up and down a pole or whatever, or every little piece of machinery where they're like, okay, we need pneumatic to... Nope, that's not the word. <laughs> Never mind. Well, yeah, yeah. So whenever they like interact with the prop, it is Dan Fogler and Seth Green interacting with that prop, but they can't use like real props because that's not what's going to be in the movie. It has to be like a motion capture version. So when Seth Green goes outside and his character goes out to take out the trash, it's a two-scale giant trash bag because he's supposed to be a little boy and he's only like a little man. Like he's supposed to be four inches shorter or whatever. (laughs) And so... It's not even a trash bag, though. It's just like pool, you know, like those pool floaties that you can like hit people with, like the pool snakes or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's I those like that strung that was together. The, like intended use of a pool floaty. That was the first thing you came to. It's like, yeah, you hit you people, people with, them. with them. Yeah, well, is that not what they're for? <laughs> I guess they're for You're floating. But <laughs> I mean, I guess. You smack people with them, you hit, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's just like him picking up like a bunch of pool floaties like over his shoulder like it's a trash bag when it's obviously not. And he's like sitting in bed reading a book and it's like not a book though. It's just a big felt book. It's like a book made out of felt with nothing inside of it. He's just like flipping felt pages and you're like, this is 
nightmare inducing. Like, I'm glad they seem like they had fun because I would have gone crazy. <laughs> that is intense. That's yeah. probably where all the 150 million went was them. The, the, okay. the felt children's books. We can't yeah. use props. Yep. <laughs> we can't use real things. We have to build slightly bigger versions for Seth Green to interact with. And they're all going to be made of foam and have tracking dots. Yeah. And it, it seems like all of the work that he was doing on this movie was like dangerous. Like he's like, yeah, I did all my own stunts. And I was like, okay, stunts, sure. And you watch the movie and when you're watching the finished product, you don't think about how often they're like falling off of a 10 foot wedge, which doesn't seem like that crazy because they're a cartoon character. And then you see an adult man do yeah. it and you're like, oh no, like Seth Green, are you okay? <laughs> or like, like his stunt man has to fall down a hill and his character falls down the hill for 10 seconds but they can only get two seconds of footage of him falling. So the stuntman has to do the fall five times and probably more to get it right. And you're like, this is so much. Like, why, why did all this effort? Yeah. I I think they had like slight, like small behind the scenes snippets at the very end credits of the movie. Right. That was one of them where they had Dan and Seth making the falling sound effects as their doubles were falling. Okay, that's insane. That they would have Seth Green off to the side of the screen making the si- falling sound effects and then be like, yeah, he was never intended to be in the movie voice-wise. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> we just wanted a reference for the kid to know how to scream. Like, this kid actor, they couldn't find a single kid actor that could pretend to scream. Or, like, watch the footage and go, oh, okay, yeah, I can I can make something up with that. Yeah. No, you have to match it exactly to Seth Green. Oh, my God. This movie tanked the studio was that made this movie like it was done so it was a subsidiary of disney and they were like this is under 50 million dollar movie that made 39 million back like bye bitch that is rough yeah it's a bit much to be fair it sits so deep into the uncanny valley there is no way that they can get out even with mars gravity (laughs) yeah it, it it really does it is creepy looking and the story doesn't really make a lot of sense why kids would want to see a movie about this. Just the concept of the movie being like, this kid's mom is abducted and he has to go save her. And you see Seth Green in interviews like trying to explain like why it's gonna be such a good movie. And he's like, man, I think kids are gonna love it because it's like a fun adventure. You know, he's trying to get his mom back. And parents are gonna love it because they're gonna be like, this kid is in genuine jeopardy and this woman like might die. And it's it's really <laughs> empowering to see this kid save her. And you're like, Seth Green... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, dude. Why would a mom want to see her kid, like, almost get crushed every 30 seconds and fucking die? <laughs> like, why? That is parents' favorite genre, is children in trouble. He did his research. <laughs> so the IMDb trivia, when I was looking this up, said that the movie title Mars Needs Moms is a play on a movie from the 1960s called Mars Needs Women. Huh. Yeah, so Mars Needs Women is about the Martians who need to repopulate Mars. So they come down to earth disguised as human beings. They hypnotize a bunch of women and they abduct them up to space, or at least that's their plan. Maybe they don't succeed because they want to take them to space and, and rape them and repopulate their planet. Um, you know, cause it was, it was the sixties. Yeah. And then this movie literally just takes that and is like, what about that concept? But moms, that's for kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I thought that it was like a Jimmy Neutron situation where they were like, all the parents on Earth are gone. But instead, it was like, they want to steal this one kid's mom and use her discipline powers to, like, 
program all these nanny bots to train their kids. I don't know. Yeah, that that was one of the things that was weird to me, that they single out specific moms for discipline and control. And she has no control over this child because he doesn't give a shit and right. doesn't care about her. It's what? like, why... Why did they choose her? Well, I guess that's sort of the thing, right? Is that they have to choose a new a new person to program their nanny bots every 25 years. Because they designed a bunch of nanny bots. Okay, this movie is a fucking mess. They designed a bunch of nanny it, bots. It is all over the place. <laughs> yeah. They designed a bunch of nanny bots that only work for 25 years and then they have to get a new brain discipline mom to reprogram them. The last time they did it, they, they got... What's his name? Jibbler? It's... Uh, they got Giblin's mom and she was like a great mom and he was a well-behaved kid and so it didn't work as well as they wanted it to so this time they were like let's get a mom whose kid is like a real piece of shit and she's just trying to pull it together gribble that's gribble i that's as stupid Grimace. as the two things that i <laughs> it, it doesn't good. matter nailed it um, and I know they tried to, like, make it meaningful later. They're like, oh, his full name is actually George, George Ribble. Ribble or something. Yeah. I don't remember. Stupid. It's just so dehumanizing of this movie to be like, oh, this memory extraction machine's going to take all the discipline out of your mom and put it in the nanny. It's like, what? The only thing that she is to the story of the movie is a mom. Like, she's not conceptualized as a real person. Which, like, I get it. The movie's made for little kids. But, like, imagine watching this as... Imagine watching this as an adult. We are adults. Whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> watching are this as though? an adult woman is like, man, I'm glad that I don't have kids so that I can be just, like, shoved into this corner of, like, you are meat sack discipline machine. Oh, God. that That's the title that we need here on Earth is just discipline meat sack machine for oh, whenever we give birth to children. I thought you meant for the movie. Oh, no. It should have been called Discipline Meat Shack Machine. (laughs) Discipline Meat Shack Machine. Yeah. Meat Sack. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, no, it's hard to say. That's what makes it good, though. (laughs) All good movies have to be tongue twisters. Yeah, like uh, Birds of Prey and the Irascible Emasculation of Harley Quinn. (laughs) What's that called? (laughs) Something like that. Yeah, no, that was exactly it. (laughs) So this movie starts off. Right away, we're shown a bunch of alien antics, which is, like, great because the aliens don't speak English. And so we're just, like, subjected to, like, five or six minutes of these aliens being like, oh, gibble gobble. And we're like, oh, okay. Okay, so it's that kind of movie. Well, and, like, the very first living creature you see in the movie is one of the little hatchlings coming out of the dirt, and you're like, oh, what the (laughs) fuck is happening? Yeah. When I was watching it, I think I literally screamed when I saw that. I went, ah! Yeah. the, the hell? They're so creepy and lifeless, which is so fucked up, because, like, watching them behind the scenes, all of the performers that play these little aliens are doing so much. Like... So much. All of this face acting, and they're doing stunts, and you're like, this dude just broke his ankle so that this little alien could, like, crawl out of the dirt and be like... Like, (laughs) this is a fucking nightmare. Yeah, they went above and beyond for things that didn't even matter. Didn't pan out. Like, they could have just sort of winged it a little bit. So, in the commentary, they were talking about this like it was just, like, a fun fact about the movie and, like, it was a totally normal thing to say that all of the alien actors developed the alien language on set as they were doing it. 
Oh, my God. Yeah. Basically, all the alien performers developed the language in the moment because the production team just couldn't be fucked to do it. The actors were on set and they developed their own language as a form of communication, sending (laughs) signals for help. (laughs) Yeah, you play it backwards and it's like, get us the fuck out of here. (laughs) Robert Zemeckis has kept me locked up in his basement for years and now I'm earning my way out by playing an alien in this movie. But it has to make $120 million back and I know it's not going to. He keeps us in his basement with no water, no food, and only motion capture suits to wear. (laughs) We're not allowed to speak English in the movie. I taught myself how to talk backwards. (laughs) But, I mean, it's just so wild because, like, all of these actors are doing so much. Like, it's it's just so weird that they look so lifeless. Like, it's very disturbing. And it's like, when you watch the behind the scenes, you're like, wow, there's a lot of work here that just went completely to waste because of the technical abilities of the time yeah i mean it's not quite polar express levels of lifeless but it's it's sitting right in that sweet spot where you're like this could almost look maybe okay if it wasn't so terrible (laughs) see i don't even know because when i was watching the movie i was like okay this is like kind of okay like it looks creepy because it's seth green on a little boy's body But aside from that, it looks fine, right, for 2011? And then Reed, my partner, who works professionally in animation, came in and was like, oh, no, like, this is so much worse than Polar (laughs) Express. This is so much worse than anything I've ever seen. And I was like, oh, maybe it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I don't know a lot about animation. It's a good thing I don't have an animation podcast or something like that. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I fucked up. There is one thing when I was trying to do, like, research on the behind the scenes of the movie, the very intro scene with Joan Cusack and Seth, where he's, like, they're talking about the broccoli. If you look up this movie, that clip is on every single different YouTube channel. That is the only thing that they have deemed is worth showing to the world. (laughs) It was also in both of the trailers, so you can go and watch trailer one and trailer two and, like, compare and contrast weird, creepy... Seth Green pitched up voice to normal little boy voice. <laughs> like you have such a direct comparison. Basically, trailer two is just trailer one with a different voice on it. So yeah, they pulled a Sonic. They they pulled a reverse Sonic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did they did the opposite of what Sonic did. But yeah. It it's it's such a clusterfuck, to put it very kindly. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. And I kind of like when like a movie gets to the point that they have to be transparent with their audience and be like, we fucked up, like majorly fucked up. Sonic looks bad. We know he looks bad and they have to change it. Like when it comes to something like Star Wars Episode nine, you know, we're hearing now about like all these weird like behind the scenes things that may or may not have happened and weird changes. But like you don't know any of that before you go see the movie. With this one, I feel like, you know, this movie was fucked. Yeah, you're going in knowing that so many mistakes were made, but (laughs) there's nothing that can be done. And Disney has decided never to release it in any form other than (laughs) maybe on Disney Plus if we put in some kind of cheat code or something. Right. It's sort of hidden in the background. Like you have to click on another movie and then it's in the special features of Polar Express or something. (laughs) You have to pause it at the exact right time code. Right. Go up to the top right corner. There's a 10-digit code. (laughs) (laughs) So we haven't really talked about Dan Fogor's character, Gribble, yet. 
Um, Gribble is strange, to say the I'm least. I'm fascinated by him. He's He's a walking 80s reference. Yeah, he is. But then he talks about, he's the one that gives the exposition of... Every 25 years, they have this thing where they kidnap a mom from Earth for their robots. I'm fascinated to know what his life was like in that span of time when he was figuring out alien technology, but also still staying a regressed 80s child. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Gribble is that he's kind of like Peter Pan syndrome, but like if Peter Pan aged into like just an adult man with a little boy's personality. Yeah. Oh my god, can you imagine that poor child having to go through puberty on Mars with no other, like, references or anything? What was his life like? I didn't really think about that. Like, we see him, in in his flashback later on in the movie, we see him as a little 11-year-old boy with a helmet, and then it, like, cuts to the future, and he's got the helmet in his hands, and he's like, yeah, my mom got... She got all the discipline sucked out of her that day and she got evaporated by it. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I guess, whatever. Would you like eat garbage for 25 years? Oh, you're not going to tell us? Okay, cool. He just like lived in the garbage. Like, how did he survive? How did he deal with, like, there's so many questions and none of them are answered other than, oh, here's my alien buddy. I don't actually know how to speak his language. And honestly, he does nothing for the plot, but uh, here he is. So that's all you're going to give us about this random 80s child. I don't know. Also, the movie makes the mistake of not making the story about him, like, actually growing up and, like, realizing, like, okay, I'm a man now. I have to be an adult human being and take care of this kid who needs me. Instead, he's like, okay, I'm going to make sure this kid's mom fucking dies so that he'll have to spend the rest of his life hanging out with me, Gribble, his new best friend, because I need a friend. All I have is my little robot pal. And it's like, he doesn't really grow up throughout the course of the movie. He just sort of takes charge and, like, helps Milo along and also falls in love with an alien woman who he desperately wants to fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Watching that, I'm like, oh, he's they're going to fuck. They're gonna fuck. Yeah. He's so he's so horny for that alien. Literally the first conversation they have with each other, he's like, Oh yeah, I totally uh I wanna fuck. I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. And it kind of makes sense. Like, I guess that if he's lived on this planet for this long, he would have sort of like assimilated to it and like seen some things that he finds attractive about these aliens. But like, is this the first woman he's ever talked to? Probably. He's lived in garbage his whole life. other than his mom. Yeah. I don't know. I talk about like Born Sexy Yesterday a lot on this podcast. It's a very much (laughs) a case of Born Sexy Yesterday, but like a two-way street. Like they're both Born Sexy Yesterday. I guess he's he's not really sexy, but like it's a situation where like he's a, a little boy in an adult body and she is like an alien that doesn't know anything about humans except for 20 seconds of a TV show that she watched where... Seth Green plays a From hippie. From the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was Seth Green too? That's the only time that Seth Green actually appears in the movie. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and so- I, I didn't even catch that. I was just so fascinated with the fact that they chose to have this alien. Like, yeah, two cycles ago, I watched this TV show from the 70s and found out that they have color. And now I spend all of my secret time painting flowers on everything. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and it's like, I guess that that her arc in the movie is realizing that Martian culture. Okay, there's so much to unpack in this movie. I know that I said earlier there's nothing to talk about, but there's so much to talk about. Martian culture. Okay. The, the, the Martian upper crust are the cis women. Oh my God. Important to state. They're called the cis. The the culture has been subdivided into male and female. It's just very sexist in its makings. It's like all of the men are like these disgusting, like garbage creatures that just roll around in the garbage and I don't know, masturbate all day. Probably. <laughs> and and they're all like hairy and gross. And then the women are like this like established society, but also like cold, conniving bitches. And it's like, well, I guess the sexuality doesn't play into it. I guess that all of these aliens are intended to be straight and that they don't know what love is. Yeah, it it doesn't play into it, but it does in like a weird, I don't, because she, Key is super obsessed with figuring out what the concept of love is. It's so bizarre. And then what was the acronym for what CIS is supposed to stand for? I don't fucking care, honestly. It's like, I don't know. It's like super secret. I don't know. Right. But that line when they're like, oh, it's such a perfect disguise. You'll fit right in. Well, just watch out for the sis. And you're like, the sis? Milo's going stealth. Oh, I lost it. <laughs> I'm like, th- this movie became trans representation in a matter of five seconds. And then he gets onto the ship in the outfit with the super wide hips. And he has right. to like march like a girl. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> But it's just such a strange arc, I guess, for her character, Key, because her whole thing is that, like, she's going off with these two. She sees Gribble, he, his, like, his cheeks blush, and she's like, oh, my God, the color red. I've never seen that before. I like it when your cheeks turn red. And then they're down in the caves, and they find a paint, like, a cave painting of Martians in a nuclear family. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's what it is. That's this love thing. And you're like, okay, I guess, whatever, it's 2011, whatever, who cares? <laughs> I guess in the course of 25 years, all of these aliens have forgotten what fucking is. But it's like, how how are they reproducing? Because they're definitely, no, the, the Martian babies climb out of the ground? Yeah, that that's never really made clear. Yeah. Like, is it that episode of Rick and Morty where he has the sex robot and then... It It is that episode exactly, <laughs> because I forgot about the sex robot component. All I remembered was, like, the segmented male and female society. Oh, my God. Oh, we just... So they throw rebo- away- the, we both just came to the same the conclusion. <laughs> Holy shit, from two different components. Justin Roiland watched the Mars Needs Moms and he was like, I'm going to make an episode about this. <laughs> oh my oh God. My God. <laughs> this is fucked up. Because they have the robot moms. They're like, oh no, we can't use them after 25 years. They're useless. Oh we need to get a new mom. God. And then they throw them into the garbage area where all of them, they throw the men, like all the male babies. Right. And... That's, it's literally the same happens. thing. That's so wild. I don't... F- I mean, this movie's breaking my brain. Because just the concept <laughs> that, like, they make these robots that they are designed to break down after 25 years. For what reason? Is that, like, some kind of a statement on, like, motherhood and, like, you're you're useless and then you become a mother for 25 years, you're useful, and then you're done? I don't fucking know what this movie's trying to say. I, I There's so many mixed messages, and I feel like it's trying to be 
positive representation, but falls into every stereotype. Well, positive representation of what, though? I I have no idea, because they have, like, the strong female lead stereotype, but also... Yeah. They're... And She's I don't know. Boring. It's such a weird clusterfuck of right. so many different ideas that went nowhere. And I guess, I guess it's cool that Gribble as a character is not like made fun of for being fat. No, he is. He is one time kind is he? of okay. It's when they're in the river. He's like, "Don't worry, fat floats," and he's like, "Hey." And the only reason I knew that is because I heard that. I'm like, wait, does it? And I looked it up, and <laughs> yes, it does indeed float. All right, so learning things from Mars Needs Mom. This is this is definitely... Also, I keep saying Mars Needs Mom. It's Mars Needs Moms, even though there's one mom. It's Joan Cusack, and that's it. They, they need moms in the sense that over the course of one century, they'll have four moms total. Right, robot moms, of course. They need yeah. hundreds of robot moms reprogrammed. Do you think they would all have, like, Joan Cusack's voice? Like, do you think they'd all be running around like, honey, get on? I don't know what she sounds like. <laughs> Just Jesse from Toy Story raising all of these creepy alien oh children. God. <laughs> so I was trying to find discussion on this movie online because I usually like to go on Google and I'll, I'll find, like, Reddit discussions, Wikipedia, Twitter threads, and, and IMDb trivia, all that stuff. And I tried to find any kind of a discussion about Mars Needs Moms on Reddit because I was like, okay, there might be some really cool behind the scenes stuff here. Maybe somebody did like an AMA. I don't know. And one of the only threads that I found was from like a men's rights subreddit. Oh, God. (laughs) That was like talking about how sexist the movie is because it's called Mars Needs Moms. And it was clear that none of them had seen the movie. (laughs) And they had only watched (laughs) trailers and things. Okay, so it's for men's rights. This is important. It's called... Here's, here's the, the title of the post. It says, Misandric Mars Needs Moms movie completely flops. The title shouldn't have been Mars Needs Moms, but Boys Need Not Come, one executive joked. Their basic premise is like, the movie is bullshit and it hates men because Joan Cusack is a single mother. So they're saying that Milo's dad abandoned him and that his mom had to take care of him and they're pushing up. Disney is so obsessed with feminism. And then you watch the movie and you're like, okay, so she's not a single mom. His dad is just at work. And then his dad comes home. So clearly none of them saw the fucking movie. Two, this movie hates women. (laughs) And it hates men. It hates everybody, to be fair. Yeah. (laughs) It has no message to send other than everyone is trash. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my God. And it's so traumatizing, too. Like, the entire movie, this kid's in mortal danger. We get to the end of the movie, like... He's trying to go out there and save his mom. We just watched Gribble's mom die. Like, Gribble almost died. And then he goes out there to try and save his mom. He almost dies. She almost dies. And then she takes off her helmet and puts it on him. And she almost dies again. And you're like, man, I hope this mom just straight up dies. Like, that would be the ballsiest. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, this has to be so traumatizing for a kid in the audience whose mom died. Like, the entire movie is about, like, how important it is to have a mom. It's like, well, maybe there's somebody in the audience who doesn't have a mom or their parents aren't in the picture at all or they're an adult and their parents died or like i don't fucking know well and then like unrelated to parents in general they have that whole scene where he's in front of that firing squad wall and yeah milo recognizes it as such and then they get there and there's like the black charred outlines of every person that they've murdered in front of that wall (laughs) right You're like, oh, okay, so we're teaching children, men are trash, women are 
domineering and oh also here's some information about firing squads (laughs) (laughs) so eventually they do save Mila's mom and they do reunite the martian society (laughs) like and she teaches them about color and yeah and and free love or whatever they teach she teaches them about that love thing and it's kind of incredible because the big villain in the movie, the the number one cis hat, has like <laughs> a fucking like a super villain speech, but she's speaking Martian. Like the entire time, she's not speaking English at all, and she's just like gibble gobble, gibble gobble, gobble, and you're like, why did you get like an actual like experienced improv actor to play this part? Like we know that's Mindy Sterling. She was in Austin Powers. I've fucking seen her in 200 movies. She's a prolific <laughs> actor. Why'd you get her to come in here and be like, ah, and then overdub her own dialogue in broken English. Oh, that's right. Okay. When he, ev- eventually they when do they're translate. translated. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Only, only when Milo is wearing the headset that somehow Gribble knew how to make. But he's also a child. But also, he has advanced technology. And also, he eats garbage. Like, I don't know. He's truly the most complex character of our time. <laughs> and it's like, the translator does translate, and it does translate Key's dialogue to hippie language, but then sometimes it translates her to broken English, and you're like, which one is it? Is she like a hippie, or does she not know how to speak it's, English It's right? only when she's speaking Martian that it translates to broken English. She can actually speak English, but only hippie English from the 70s. Okay, and she learned how to speak English from a 20-second clip from a sitcom. Yes. Starring Seth Green. Okay. Yeah. All right, I buy that. That's fine. I, I studied the that. lore really hard before watching this movie. Yeah, you read the Wikipedia <laughs> article. I get it. So they saved Milo's mom... They go back to Earth and Gribble, like, they go back to Earth and Gribble has the opportunity to come to Earth. And he's kind of like, nah, little buddy, I think I'm going to go out and have some space adventures. And you're like, dude, I think that you should, like, see what Earth has to offer. What, you haven't been on Earth in 25 years? You don't want a fucking hot dog? Are you kidding me? Like, try alcohol for the first time in your life. What is happening? Like, he's like, nah, bro, I'm going to go out to space and fuck my alien, babe. And you're like, yeah, I guess so, dude. Like, meet a human woman, (laughs) please. Why doesn't Gribble take Key to a movie or buy her 10 seasons of Seinfeld on DVD or something like that? Like, give her more to watch than this 20 seconds. He doesn't know what Seinfeld is. You're right. Cheers. Was that around in 85? Okay. It would have been Cheers. Alf. Show her Alf. Yeah. She would love Alf. Back to the Future, maybe? Back to the Future would be a good one. Um, Depending on when he left or was kidnapped. or. So they leave Earth to go off and have some space adventures. And I guess the idea is that somehow Key has gone from like a weird rebel who goes around spray painting everything, like spray painting flower power murals on walls, to now she is the leader of this society who three days ago was like a a fascistic segregated society where like the men don't really know how to communicate and the women have all the power and like are militaristic and it's like now they're gonna be like free overnight what's happening now it's such a sudden turnaround like after the villain gives her big speech right like arrest the villains and then the other martians take off their visors for like a split second they're like you are the villain and turn their guns on her. And you're like, right. how did you make that split second decision? 
And it's like, I guess that it's a kid's movie. So it's it's like, oh, these are the good guys and these are the evil guys and they know the difference. But it's like, well, yeah, no, they were raised in like a fascistic militaristic society where they were raised to think that this is the one way to do things. And so, of course, they would follow their leader or there would have to be an uprising. There would be a revolt. People are getting guillotined in the streets like this is not going to be as easy as as you think it's going to be, especially if you're trying to take the flower power approach to it. Like there's just a lot of like political things going on here that I think the movie didn't really consider. No, and it takes such not even like a streamlined approach. It takes such a side shortcut. It's like, okay, here are these really pressing serious issues. We won't even address them and now they're solved. It's fine. This movie's a nightmare. It's also a big waste of time. Like don't watch the movie, but like if you see the Blu-ray lying around like on the street or or at a garage sale <laughs> for 75 cents or something like that, pick it up and watch the version that's like the fucked up nightmare edit. Like that is legitimately fun and I do wish that more movies could do something like that. Because it's just like such a such a power move from the actors involved to be like, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. And I'm going to let the entire world see it because I bet nobody will buy this Blu-ray anyway. <laughs> it literally looks like Seth Green just like running around in like a giant onesie with a diaper being picked up by men <laughs> twice his size and then like planted and then like spun around and all this shit. And you're like, wow, he really went for it. Like there's so much work that went into this terrible, boring movie. And they had such a good time making it. You can tell that they were having, like, their their chemistry on set is really fun to watch. Right, right. They loved making it, but also they love the movie. Like, if you watch the commentary, Seth Green and Dan Fogler are cracking up the entire time. They love all the jokes. Like, Gribble makes some joke about, like, hey, man, the next time you do that, tell a guy to change his pants first or whatever. And they all loved it. They were, like, cracking up, like, oh, he shit his pants. That's so funny. <laughs> I don't know. I've met Seth Green. He's like one of the nicest dudes in the world. Um, that doesn't surprise me. He seems super chill. Yeah, he's super chill. And I gave him a high five that I don't think that he wanted. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was I was producing a podcast. And I was sitting there next to him on the couch and I was engineering the show. And then he started making like some some joke about like Star Trek or something like that. Like live long and prosper. And he puts up like the Star Trek sign, you know. And he like puts it up to me. He's like smiling. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then I like went in to high five him. And then he was like, oh. he was like kind of taken <laughs> aback by it. I was like, oh, <laughs> he did not want that high five. Or maybe it was fine. I couldn't really read his expression at the time, <laughs> which is weird because he's a very expressive person. <laughs> I know you can see it in the movie. I mean, he he is expressive. The character itself is um, something else. <laughs> Tony Hawk Pro Skater Okay, freestyle. fair. Yeah. <laughs> Chloe, do you have anything else to say? Do you have anything else to say for yourself? Why was I about to say that? Do you have anything else to say (laughs) about Mars Needs Moms? I mean, other than it being a $150 million home movie for Seth Green and Dan Fogler to make about this really weird kind of off-brand version of Jimmy Neutron that predates a Rick and Morty episode... There was no reason for this movie to exist. Disney kind of had like a Mars kick around the early 2000s where they had John Carter at the same time and both of them flopped and they're like... Mm. Late late 2000s. This was like the early 2010s because oh, yeah. this movie was 2011. John Carter came out a couple of years later and the whole thing was they were going to call it John Carter of Mars. But then at the last minute they were like, oh, kids don't like Mars movies because that other movie flopped. It has nothing to do with the quality of the film. They just don't like movies with Mars in the title. So uh, let's just call it John Carter. <laughs> And then nobody saw it, which was weird because, like, John Carter's a badass movie. 
All right. I'm not entirely sure what the demographic for this movie is because it's super dark for what it's trying to be as a kid's movie. But then like... It's not really funny to like an adult audience or a kid's audience. I don't think people would find it funny. Yeah, I don't know. It, I think it was made for Seth Green and Dan Vogler. Yeah, that makes sense. They get together and watch it every week and they're like, dude, this movie holds up. I know, man. I know this movie totally holds up, right? And they have that secret cut where Seth Green's dialogue was not cut out. <laughs> and then they have the side-by-side of the motion capture at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This movie was in 3D when it released, too. Wasn't yeah, it? that's a mistake. This was like a big 3D push and nobody saw it. So <sighs> that's oh Mars Needs God. Moms. What a film. Well, Chloe, thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. Where can people find you online? I am on Twitter at it's Chloe now, or you can follow my art account at C art that or Instagram. I have the same handles and those are pretty much the ones that I frequent the most. I'm on Twitter at stop tweeting Mia. Thank you for listening to the cynical cartoons podcast for another week. And as always, I'm your host, Mia Marchant, and I'm here. If you need to talk, it's a movie that I think both kids and parents will be able to relate to. It's a fun adventure for kids because the main character is a kid and for the parents you are watching this genuinely terrifying situation that your child you would imagine could ever be in i think it's something for everybody